0: Welcome to the Childcare Business Professionals Podcast. I'm Evelyn Knight. Thank you for joining me again. Today, I want to talk about your center's vision and mission. First of all, let's talk about what the difference is between a vision and a mission statement. Most centers have a mission, but they're missing that vision statement. So the mission statement defines what you're doing right now. It's what you're already uh, accomplishing. The vision is what you want your center to become. It's your ultimate vision of the center. Your vision and your mission statement are very important to your child care center's success. They can serve as the roadmap and the destination to where you're trying to get. These two things are something you really need to share with your entire staff, too. It's something they really need to buy into and something you can even bring up during the interview process. I always share my vision and mission in my interviews because I need to know that they will buy into it. If they don't buy into my vision and my mission statement, then they're not going to help me accomplish my goals. So think of the mission as your how and the vision as your why. Your mission is going to be how you're accomplishing your vision, pretty much. Your mission will quickly summarize your purpose. Why are you in business? Who your customer base is and how you plan on serving them. So, a good mission statement that I have an example here for you is from the Mayo Clinic. Their mission says is actually to inspire, hope, and contribute to health and well being by providing the best care for every patient through integrated clinical practice, education, and research. They pretty much take that in order, too. They tell you their purpose right off the top, which is to inspire hope and contribute health and well-being. Then they tell you who their customer base is. It's patients. It's their patients, right? And then how they plan on serving. They plan on serving through integrated clinical practice, education, and research. My oldest son is in college, so I looked up his... A university's mission statement for this podcast, and their mission statement is to foster a transformative learning culture where a sustainable biblical worldview takes shape, to build a vibrant Christian community that promotes worship, creative expression, and activates reflecting God's character, to cultivate a life of stewardship and service towards God, humanity, and creation. He goes to Corbin University, by the way, to give them credit for their mission. And that is a really good example of a mission statement that really summarizes what that university stands for. So if you're looking for a college for your kid and you really don't want them in a religious college, you're not going to pick Corbin's. Their mission statement is very clearly states that they are a Christian institution. So think about what you really want your customers to look at out there. If you are a a religious-based or church-based program, then you definitely want to have something in there about that. If you're not, then you just don't mention it at all. My mission statement is partnering with parents to fill a child's early years with a nurturing environment of self-discovery. In that, I'm pretty much summarizing our goal, who we're serving, and how we plan on doing it. So think about when you write your own about those uh, three components. The mission statement is pretty easy to write compared to the vision statement. So I'm not going to spend too much more time on the mission statement. I actually think we are done with the mission and ready to move on to the vision statement. I did not have a vision statement for my first few years in business. And when I finally developed my vision statement and understood what its purpose was and what it does, it was a big game changer for me. This is something that my business advisor encouraged me to do and always talked to me about. So your vision statement is like your final destination. Envision what you would want your center to look like in three years if there were no obstacles. So money is not a concern. You have an unlimited budget. You have your dream staff and your dream parents. What would your center look like? Take a moment to write that down. Again, your ideal center is what you're looking at with no obstacles. It's your dream. It's basically what you would fantasize about. So that is your final destination. It's where you want to be eventually. Your vision statement will be something that you're always trying to accomplish and maintain. So even if you get there one day, it's something you're going to always have to work towards. Once you get there, it doesn't mean that it's done. Now you're going to have to do the maintenance on it, which is where I'm at right now. So it's very important to always keep your vision in the forefront of your mind and your staff's mind. That way you guys don't lose sight of it and it doesn't fall to the wayside. I am going to provide you with a link that uh, will take you to a blog that I've written about creating a vision statement so that you have some of this in writing because it is a lot to remember. And if you're anything like me, you might be driving or cleaning the house as you listen to this podcast. And there is really some work that you need to put into creating your vision statement. So I will, again, link for the resources uh, that you can go to later. So your vision statement should have some components to it. It should be be very clear and all-encompassing. It should inspire and be contagious. And it should focus on some kind of excellence or something that you want to achieve. So let's go back to the Mayo Clinic and look at their vision statement their vision statement is the Mayo Clinic will provide an unparalleled experience as the most trusted partner for health care. That is a pretty ambitious vision statement. They are basically saying that they want to be the best. They want to be unparalleled. If you notice, their vision statement is pretty short, but it really does say a lot. Now let's look at Corbin University's uh, vision statement. Corbin's goal is to equip men and women who will bring character to their communities and competence to their career. At Corbin, who our students become is just as important as what they choose to do. So it's pretty clear from Corbin's vision statement that they're really not just focused on the education of the students, but also the character of the students, who they are. So again, if you're a parent who really just wants your kid to go to college and get an education. That's another thing that you'd know that Corbin really isn't for you. On the other hand, if you're like me and you want to make sure that your child is going somewhere that really focuses on integrity and character, then Corbin is a good fit. Just as a side note, I'm not trying to endorse Corbin through this. I just was curious going through this process of what their vision and mission statements are since my son is there right now. Going back to creating your vision statement... After you've written out what your dream center looks like without any obstacles, the next thing you're going to do is think about what brought you to the field of early childhood education and why did you decide to stick with it? If you're in management or if you're thinking about starting a center, you probably have a passion for this field. So I want you to go back to the time that you fell in love with the early childhood education profession. What was it about this field that drew you to it and actually made you stick with it? More importantly, a lot of us came to this field because our children were in a preschool and we needed a job and it just was an easy way to get a job. Some of you might have gone to college first because you love children, but that's what I want you to get down to is going back to what made you choose this field as your career. Write that down. It may be helpful to do this before you create your vision of the perfect center if you are struggling with that. I think if you get back to the basics of your passion for early childhood education, that might be able to help you really see what you want out of your center. Once you're done writing those two things out, I want you to think about what your ideal tour would look like. So if you are touring a family for the first time, think about walking classroom to classroom and what you would see during that tour. What could you point out to the parents? What would the parents see? What would your center look like during the perfect tour? And I want you to write that out classroom by classroom. So I went through my old notes on when I created my vision statement, and I was going to go over some of the stuff that I wrote down just to help you in case uh, this is hard for you and you're getting some writer's block. So I've written down that I started working in ECE when I was very young because it worked with my college schedule, which is true. And then I had my son and I stuck with the field. I also discovered at one point that I was really good at it, and I had an instinct for young children. I then really started gearing my education towards working with young children, and I realized how much I loved it, and it didn't feel like it was work to me, that just watching these little brains grow and develop and being around such innocent little people was really cool for me. It didn't feel like work, which was very important to me. I also wrote about incidents that happened with actual children. I wrote a lot about the foster children I had worked with, and uh, specifically one that was failure to thrive as an infant. And after four years, she was a normal child. And I really focused on that process of her growth and watching her go from a a baby that they didn't know would live to becoming a normal functioning child with a great adopted family. So I'm going to read to you what I wrote about my perfect vision of a center. My center cultivates functional future adults who will contribute to a better future for our community. When I walk into a classroom, I see happy children who are being nurtured and loved. I see experiences that help them learn, grow and focus. I see teachers communicating clearly and socially interacting. At least one teacher in each classroom is actually on the floor playing and engaging with children. In the back of my mind, I also know that our parents are very involved and we have established a culture of cooperation and teamwork with families. I see a center that has a very strong sense of team, where the staff has a strong buy-in to what I believe in and what I would like to accomplish. I see a center that does not discriminate based on socioeconomic or race. Children, regardless of their socioeconomic conditions in life, are treated equally and have the same opportunity as any other child. Okay, and it does actually go on and on, but that is just the basic summary of it. I ended up writing a couple pages worth of that kind of language, which I'm not going to waste your guys' time on, but you should get the idea just from what I read to you there. And one of the things I really want to point out is that when I wrote that I was talking in the present. It's important when you write this out to Write it in the present as if your vision has already been accomplished. Now I'm going to read you the summary of what I have written down for my ideal tour. And again, this is a summary. I actually had written down what I wanted each classroom to look like. And then after I completed that, I summarized it. And it looks like I actually even numbered it. So number one says students are happy and obviously comfortable. It is obvious that their needs are being met. Number two, children have enough stimulating materials and activities to keep them engaged. There are print-rich, diverse materials throughout the entire classroom, and the classroom setup is developmentally appropriate. Teachers are engaged and actively talking with children and engaging in rich conversations. The classroom is well-organized and clean. Okay, I'm going to stop reading it there because I really want to touch up on the word clean. I have to put a side note on that one here. So one of the things I train my staff all the time, and I mentioned in trainings, is that there is a difference between clean and messy. It is okay for a classroom to be messy. If you have a hard time allowing your classroom to be messy, you really need to let go of the control. When children are learning and engaged, they are going to make a mess. On the other hand, we do not want it to be dirty. So they need to be clean, right? Clean basically means that everything is sanitized, the floors are mopped and swept. There is no evidence of any kind of debris on the toys. They are obviously each one wiped down individually, so there's no grime. It should be obvious when you walk into a classroom whether it's just messy or dirty. Dirty will have grime around the room or on top of the cubbies or by the floors that you can tell has been there for a while. Clean means that everything is basically free of dirt but there still might be toys uh, spread out throughout the classroom. There might be buckets dumped, uh, and that is okay. That just means that the children are happy and engaged. Enough of that tangent. I just had to throw that in there because it is a big uh, pet peeve of mine, but let's get back to the content of a vision. As you're developing your vision, also, really look into what developmentally appropriate practice or DAP practices are. Make sure you're really familiar about that. Uh, that is a big problem in our industry. There is a lot of things that I like to call parent pleasers um, that really seem educational. But if you look at where the children are developmentally, they are not good for the children developmentally. One of the things I like to explain to parents when I'm touring to help them understand what this means is, is think of the different way that you teach a third grader versus how you would teach a seventh grader. Seventh graders are going to move from one classroom to another, and they probably have six to seven different periods with six to seven teachers a day. You would never do that to a third grader, right? Uh, They can't handle that. Well, just like a third grader cannot handle what a seventh grader is doing, a three and a four year old cannot handle what a first and second grader are doing. So that's where the developmentally appropriate practice really come into play. And before you develop your vision for your center, make sure you have a good handle on that. And while you're working on what your ideal center looks like, just really make sure you truly understand what is appropriate learning for these children, just to make sure that you're really hitting that part of excellence. An example is if your vision is seeing children working at tables, doing worksheets and tracing their ABCs, that is not developmentally appropriate. And that is a sign of a poor quality center. If this is something you're really struggling with, I suggest that you get the Infant Toddler Environmental Rating Scales book and the Early Childhood Environmental Rating Scales The infant toddler one is referred to as itters and the early learning one is referred to as Eckers, which if your center does not have children under three, you probably do not need the itters book. I will put links to both books in my comments uh, that will link you to my Amazon store where you can get those books. They are really like the Bible of our industry and they set the bar for quality standards. I will also link some of the NAEYC books on DAP. Okay, so now once you have all of that written down, you should be able to put that together in a quick summary of maybe two to four sentences that will incorporate your vision. So I'm going to read to you Walmart's vision statement just so you have another example of what a vision statement should be. Be the destination for customers to save money no matter how they want to shop. I know the vision statement can be difficult, so just Google some other vision statements and see what you can come up with to help inspire you after you've done those three writing exercises. So once you have your vision statement, it's important to spread it to your staff. When I first introduced my vision statement to my staff, I called a staff meeting and I dedicated the entire meeting to our vision statement. I presented them with my new vision statement, and then we made a vision board based on that statement together. During that staff meeting, I actually ended up changing my vision statement a little bit to incorporate my staff's feelings on it. And there were some really good points they had. So I would still recommend doing yours first. But when you get to that staff meeting or however you want to present it, be open to allowing them to have some input into it. Now with the vision board, I created the vision board with them because some people are just better visual learners and also we hung up the vision board so that um, it would just remind us of our vision and what we wanted to see our center become. I structured that staff meeting in three different areas. The first one was getting them excited about the vision. And that's again, when we did the vision board and when we tweaked it a little bit to include their ideas, that really, really helped them get excited about it. During that part of the staff meeting, we talked about what it means to be a high quality center, what a vision of excellence looks like and why it's important to have this vision of excellence. The next part of our staff meeting, we focused on what are the challenges we're going to face in order to become what our vision is. And that was probably a big chunk of the meeting. Uh, Anytime you bring anything like this up to staff, there is always going to be resistance and they're always going to be scared. So just be patient with them in this and help guide them. That is what we do as leaders, right? We help to really guide them and ease them into this. But make sure before you move on to the, from this portion, if time allows, uh, that you really have some strong buy-in from at least most of your staff. You're never going to get all of them there at once. There's just people who need that time to process, and that is okay. Just make sure you check in with those people periodically to make sure that they do eventually buy into your vision. Last part of our staff meeting was coming up with the steps we would have to take in order to accomplish our vision. This was a part I had actually already partially done on my own, but I really didn't tell them that I was just prepared with the steps. And I really led them to help me get those steps. So basically, the reason I prepared ahead of time for that was I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss out on anything. And if they didn't come up with some of the steps, I would just say, hey, you guys, what do you think about? And then we put some of the steps in there. So I think uh, I, I was thinking about including the steps that we took. But I decided against that because your vision might be different than mine. So your steps might be different than mine. You might be further along than I was at the time, or you might be farther away from your vision than I was. So the steps will be different. The other thing too, is you and your staff really need to take ownership of these steps without the ownership and the buy-in. You're not going to accomplish it. So, you can think of your mission statement too almost as a roadmap to get to your final destination, the vision. So, kind of keep that in mind when you're coming up with those steps. I closed out the staff meeting with a testimonial on why we do what we do. And I think I'll share that with you just so you understand and know how this can help with uh, your staff's buy in. So, the testimonial I gave was uh, about a teacher. That um, basically came to me one day and I had been having a really rough week at the time and she knew I was having a rough week. I was at a point in my career where I kind of just wanted to quit. I didn't want to be an owner or a director anymore. I knew I could make more money going and doing something else. And I just didn't know why I was doing this anymore. So I got to the center one day and she brought me this baby. And she explained to me how this baby is uh, was only seven weeks old at the time and how she had been left at the hospital after she was born by her mother and how no foster family would take her up until this point because she was a crack baby. Uh, this baby now had a home with a foster family that is um, uh, here in northern Nevada. We're about nine hours away from where the baby was. And she basically had a home because we do not charge a copay for foster families looking for childcare in the state of Nevada. So this family could not afford a copay. They were willing to take a crack baby. They just couldn't afford childcare. And so since I do not charge a copay, this baby now had a home to go to And in the end, that family actually ended up adopting that baby. So not only did this baby find a foster home, but she found a family and has brothers and sisters now and parents because we do not charge a copay. And telling that story really helped my staff understand my vision and it helped them to buy into it, help them to be a, want to be a part of what we're doing for the children out there. So with that, I think I am going to bring this podcast to a close. Please let me know what you think. If you have any questions, I'd love to discuss this with you in the comments. And again, visit my website at www.childcarebusinessprofessionals.com. Thank you for joining me. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and let me know what you thought of this episode in the comments. You can also tell me what subjects you would like me to address for future episodes. And one last thing, I would really appreciate a five-star review. Don't forget to check out all the great resources on my website, www.childcarebusinessprofessionals.com.